Welcome back, faithful listeners, to another episode of the Industrial Marketer Podcast, where we are talking the tips, tricks, and trends that help industrials and marketers make sense of this weird world that we're living in. I am one of your hosts, Joey Strawn, and I am thrilled to have you here. As always, I am partnered next to Nels Nels Wears Five Belts. Jensen, how are you, my compatriot, my partner? partner, my man. Uh, I was doing fine until you hit a little too close to home with that uh, quarantine, uh, you know, concern over the belts. Uh. <laughs> you know what? We all we all are handling this in a different way. And the fact that you over accessorize is never one. It's never something that I'm going to judge. No, I, I can never. tell you I've this is the first time in my life I've ever been accused of over accessorizing. So thank, thank <laughs> you yet again. You know, I'm going to start as many rumors as it takes to make you as famous as JLo. There you uh, go. So, so now so I'm going to, I'm going to make you famous. Uh, how are you this week, man? It's been a busy week. It's been uh, a busy year so far. How, how are you holding up? I am. I'm holding up very well. I'm, I'm uh, doing very well uh, though. I uh, have to be honest with you here. I'm, I'm a little bit shy of knowledge on this whole marketing ROI thing that we're about to dive into. So I'm I'm more in the mode of uh, learning, you know, it's the actual insights will come, but uh, they won't be dispensed from me. I'm the content guy, right? I'm so (laughs) I'm I'm curious to hear from the, uh, from the pros. Well, Nels, I, uh, you know what, I, I'm excited to dive into our topic of the week as well. Uh, in our second segment, our in the shop floor, where we've asked actually our analytics hero, Matt Hope, he brings hope to us all uh, to talk a little bit more specific and in the weeds about that. Um, but analytics is a game that I have, have run and managed and, and have dealt with for years. So I'm excited. I'm excited to dive in as well. Um, so you know what, let's let's go ahead and get on in. That's our topic for the week. What is ROI in the world of marketing and digital marketing for industrials? And, you know, this comes up a lot, you know, whether you're the marketing executor out there on the floor trying to provide reports out of HubSpot or Sendable or Buffer or HootSuite or, you know, whatever system you have, SimRush, SpyFu, to show value, you know, is is turning around and showing value? Uh, Are you that sales and marketing guy who's actually trying to connect how much revenue do my salesmen get from the emails that we send out? Or whether you're looking at it from a standpoint of, is marketing a worthy investment for my company? Is Will I see a return on my revenue bottom line, you know, by overextending or extending further into the realm of marketing? I, you know, those are whether, however you're coming at this question of what is ROI, you know, my 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 view on it, Nels, before we dive into some of your questions, is ROI is the benefit that you get from employing marketing tactics knowledgeably, knowledgeably and successfully into the market. And, and I say benefit specifically as to not make it a financial benefit. The return you get could could be more eyeballs, more awareness, sure, more right. people that are you know in your funnel as opposed to a direct financial return. So I want to be clear: is when I say ROI, I'm talking about a positive, beneficial return on your activities, sure. and, we, and, and you have to define those along the way. Yeah, and in in many ways, marketing 
isn't well it's not sales so the yeah. roi what what do you do with this increased attention i mean you can go back to the early days of tv advertising and yeah. nobody ever made a sale on a tv ad but you know, it brought you a whole bunch of attention. What right. did you do with that attention? Right. There's a um, man and I'm going to, it may be Drucker uh, or maybe somebody else, but there's that really famous quote of, I waste 50% of my marketing budget. I just don't know which 50%. You know, I think that <laughs> has been misappropriated or misattributed to a lot of different people, but you know, it is the idea of ROI is sort of a, a, a an intransigent, an intransient, property. It's hard to put your, your, put your hands on. And you would even mentioned earlier. Now you're like, this is not a topic that I feel like I know a lot about. Um, and so I want to demystify it a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Especially even with in the, in the digital world, which we live in, it's a whole lot easier to attribute ROI. I don't know how people did it without. Well, the idea of, a well, it's funny because we can track and tag and know more, but the answer of, is that helpful is still up for debate. And in, in my opinion is how do you use all of that? So you actually, before we started recording this episode, uh, you said something that was great and I, I loved it. And you're like, for our conversation today, I just have a bunch of questions I want to ask you about, about this world of ROI. So we are introducing everybody uh, a very new segment in the show this week called Nels needs to know. All right, that's it. That's how we're doing it. Nels needs to know. So Nels, yeah. you told me you had some questions about marketing analytics and ROI and value. Yeah. Sure. So you got? I'm sure you share a lot of questions. Well, does everything in digital marketing have to have an ROI? Let's just, what about social, which social media does not seem to be a good fit with a lot of industrial companies. Does does everything need an ROI in digital marketing? Ooh, that is a good question. Um, I think here's my here's the here's the short answer. No. Whether that is, you know, blasphemous in some arenas, um, I, I think no. And Matt even may disagree with me later. We can ask him some of the same questions and almost do like a, a honeymoon game type thing and see what his answer is. But here's my answer to that is everything should have a purpose. But not everything needs to. And when you say ROI, and I'll even correct you a little bit there, is everything will have an ROI. It's natural. The return will be something, whether it's nil, negative, or positive. There will be some sort of return on the investment made into social media, media spend, website build, analytics, you know, uh, infrastructure, whatever it may be, there will be a return. So whether it's positive, which everybody hopes for, um, or negative, which, which is, is the, yeah. the sum total of sometimes the experience, um, everything will have one, whether or not everything needs to have a documented financial or percentage based goal or metric associated with it, I would say no. I would think that every marketing tactic in a plan should have a purpose and should be driving towards a specific goal or objective. There you but go, I don't right. think every activity needs to have its ver a very specific one if the sum total of all of the activities is a net positive in the return. So that's a good point. Have a goal, even if it's an indirect goal toward a bigger 
And, and, I'll, and I'll break that down. I'll make that a little bit. Uh, so let's say we, as a business, have a goal of we're going to increase sales by $4 million in the fiscal year of 2021. That's a great goal. That's a great business goal. But it may is that completely on marketing or the marketing team or the sales team to do? Because some of those are going to be return customers. Some of those are going to be, you know, uh, maybe uh, – you know, government refund or rebate, you know, some sort of financial kickback that you can estimate and 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 plan for. And then there's going to be some additional growth need that's going to be required of marketing or the team or the sales team. So that's the goal that we're then looking at. So $4 million goal, it may be we need $850,000 in new sales, you know, from the agricultural market. That's a way better goal to set because then we can say, okay, yeah, how, how much gonna, of our marketing right. investment then led to that eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars within that vertical? It, you know, we can specify it even down to say, well, we want social media to increase our viewing, like our eyeballs, by twenty percent over the year and have no financial goal attached to it. That's just awareness that drives up the website traffic because we know the website converts at a five percent rate and we can turn that five percent into at least four hundred thousand dollars of sales based on our conversion funnel. So if we can use social right. yep. bump up the website traffic by five percent, we can estimate that that'll have this return at the end. That's essentially what we want to get to. Right. Just putting customers into a position where you or prospects into a position where mm-hmm. you can measure what they do. Okay. Here's what I need to know. Number two. So I read this week that only about 30% of industrial marketers have inbound marketing technology. How in the world could you calculate ROI if you don't have that kind of tech pl- uh, marketing platform? That, um, <laughs> that one's a that one's a very good question. Um, I would I would hearken a guess that while that number's probably a little bit low, to be completely honest, like as people who have all right bound sixty percent, whatever, right? Yeah. It still doesn't make much of a difference, I'll be honest. But people using inbound methodology, they're using it quite frequently. Um but the the it's very manual, I can tell you that having managed teams in Excel and, and documents via Excel and, and, uh, and, um, and source reports via Excel and, and systems like Outlook in the past, it's very, very manual. Ideally what you want, I mean, at that point, you'd almost be entirely reliant on your sales CRM or your Google analytics. And neither one of those is going to give you a full picture. Yeah. So it sounds like it looks like it's not a very lean, a lean marketing operation. If you're relying on spreadsheets, it's not, yeah. It's not uh, a lot of people, you know, their Salesforce is is a, a dominant systems platform for a reason. Um, most people have either seen or used them. There are others like Net, uh, Nutshell or, you know, uh, HubSpot even has like a free CRM that goes along with it. But some version of a management system where, you know, customers can go into and you can track their progress through a sale. Some version of that is necessary. If you ever want to have a hope of identifying what return looks like, because you need to be able to say, okay, at the end of the year, we had, and I'll use uh, zeros numbers to be easy, but we had a hundred new sales come in. And of those new sales, 50 of them came from, this trade show or virtual event, 
these 20 came from salesman efforts. These you, you, what you don't want is to say, we had 50 new sales and we don't know where any of them came from. Because ideally, you'd be able to say, well, we got $800,000 in new sales this year from these 100 customers. Wow, most of them came in via email and we didn't really consider that. Maybe we should really consider what we're doing in email to increase that next year. So being able to identify, well, these leads are, are responsible for this much value in our company and they came from this place. That's the easiest way for me to say what we're trying to accomplish. And however, whatever system you have that does that has to be able to do that automatically, consistently, and correctly. Because if it's not, then you're just lost. You're just lost in in data that's not meaningful and you're making decisions based on things that might not be true. Okay. Well, you just teed up my, what I need to know, number three, perfectly. Oh, great. Uh, Okay. You're you might be lost in data. I'm a marketing doer at a industrial company and I am just totally drowning in possibilities, right? This mm-hmm. tool, that tool, I've got pitches coming right and left. I've got proposals. I'm not sure we're leveraging what we have. I'm drowning. How do I prioritize this marketing technology? That, that is where Matt, someone like Matt comes in, uh, as at a hero level, in my opinion, because you, Nelson, you know, and I know this just because we work together, but I know how much you have on your plate and how much you're doing. So the idea of you then having to go client by client into their analytics platform or their tech stack to see what is working on a functional or execution level is unrealistic. So having someone that is looking at that data and providing, and this is a jargony term, but you know, the feedback loop, if you will, um, providing that. And what that means is just, we're putting stuff into the market. What's it doing for us? Having that feedback loop is incredibly important. And, you know, the return on investment, keeping a track of that. I mean, you wouldn't give all of your investment, you know, to a financial planner and then just never check up on them again. You know, you'd want that feedback. So what's my money doing? Am I losing money? Am I making money? It's very important. This is my money. Like, yeah, that you yeah. should, you should think that way about your marketing investment too. Where's what's it doing? I'm putting blog posts out there. I'm sending out emails. What, what are we doing? This is my money. You should be asking those same questions. And so having someone like Matt, who's able to see, gather, interpret and prioritize those returns. I mean, now how great is it that we have a feedback loop that someone says, Hey, these are the blog posts that are returning keyword driven traffic that are converting into leads. Please write five more, five more posts on this topic. That makes you, I would imagine that gives you a bit more confidence in what you're doing. Oh yeah. When, when Matt suggests to a client that we need, you know, more white papers on these two topics, it's like, I know I'm going to do going to be assigned that because <laughs> yeah. Matt Matt delivers the He's the usually he knows, he, he knows he what he's talking yeah. about. So but I know what else what else you, what else you got for me now? Well, I am curious the uh, manufacturing and industrial sectors are very different than other B2B. We've talked yes. a lot about this and we always will talk about it. It's what we do. So, uh ROI it can be complicated, but some of these sales pipelines 2 3 4 months can be mm-hmm you know, uh, a short one, you know, yeah. some of these, we, we've got a couple of clients who talk about 
sales cycles that are up to two years long. They inquire right. and they don't, they do a whole long elongated process and they may not close a deal for more than a year. So how do you calculate ROI when you have in our sector, such long, complicated buying processes? That question is, that's the boring side of ROI, to be honest, because the answer to that is math. Um, and, and I'll break it down a little bit more is understanding the metrics at your disposal. And, and trust me, these questions are answerable. Most of them are are tough and require a lot of manual effort. It goes, it requires going back through books and looking at expense reports and client, you know, invoices and things like that. But finding out a, the types of clients and businesses that you, you know, that you take. So if that's an e I mean, e-commerce makes this really easy because everything has a price, but I'm thinking more of the, you know, custom contractors or manufacturers suppliers. Right. So if it's quote based, um, if it's, you know, not everything is going to be exactly the same, you're going to have to break them down into types of services that you provide or types of jobs that you do. And then, you know, if we sell presses that are always in this range, or we sell fabrication services for agriculture that's always in this range, you need to know that. And then you need to know about how many of those you get in an average year. And you need to know the lifetime value of one of those companies. So is that company, do they come once and buy a $500,000 thing and then that's it? Or is this a company that spends $85,000 a year consistently every year for 20 years? Is that the type of customer they are? So yeah. once you have all those numbers and that's all the boring stuff, then you can basically say, well, company X will last about this long. And over the lifetime of them, we will generate about this much revenue. And then you just start moving pieces around and saying, okay, well, if we want to make this much revenue, we know that to convert company X that gives us this much revenue over time, it takes this long, this many steps and costs us about this much money. And then it's just a game of chess at that point. It's moving things around and saying, okay, well, we need to put 20% of our efforts to attract these types of customers because we know it's going to take this long to get to the finish line. And then we need to really hit these guys hard during this season because they'll turn around quick in really small increments and help us get this big, long one contract that we need for the year. Yeah. I mean, all of those things play a part and that's where all the, just the math and the spreadsheets yeah. and the boring part of it come in. But that's essentially how you get to that. And it, all the way down the line, you can eventually say, I know that if a facilities manager comes to this page on my website, that he's likely at this percentage to convert and give us a sale. So I'm going to give that person a score. And you can then score that person and say, well, he's going to be valuable later. So I'm going to give him a high score and pay attention to him. And then you can have these systems that actually keep track of those scores and will notify you when people say do enough or take enough interest that they have become mathematically valuable to your company. And then you sure. can send them an email yeah. and, and just build on those efficiencies. Sure. Yeah, it's the, the cost of acquiring a, a customer. You hear it like on Shark yes. Tank, people reel it off like it's, you know, easily Coca, customer, well, would, cost of customer acquisition, Coca, Coca, cost of customer acquisition, yeah. COCA. And in the uh, industrial world, I imagine it's not so simple. So you mentioned lead scoring, this idea mm -hmm. of 
you know, how to qualify leads, how to segment them and, you know, how to adjust your turn, turn your input dials, you know, to change those to see what the outcomes might be different. What are the other opportunities here for our industrial marketing friends? I mean, honestly, the biggest opportunity is just being digital because in the world that we're in, in the digital world, everything can be tracked. And you'll hear the phrase thrown out there like, oh, it's big data or like, oh, let's take advantage of big data or we're a big data firm or whatever it may be, whatever the buzzwords you've heard out there. Essentially, what that means is there's so much that we can track on a like societally holistic level that human brains can't comprehend the patterns, but computers can. And we can identify trends in markets or sales or things like that. But the fact that everything is going in a digital direction and not only are sales and marketing systems being integrated and communicating together, but the fact that on a grand scale there's the ability to look at just generational and cultural trends with all the different data points now that we're all connected. Those are going to be huge opportunities for people that have the skill sets or have the abilities to connect with people that can interpret that level yeah. of data. I, yeah. I think it's one of those that it, I mean, it, it sounds scary and I, you know, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but like movies like, you know, uh, iRobot or, you know, all the, the kind of the future uh, AI uh, type fear, uh, uh, fear-based stories and movies. I think a lot of that is going to come from the world of these types of technologies is trying predictive technology, people trying to predict trends or being able to see gigantic swaths of data and then make accurate, almost as if they were predicting the future, you know, results from it. Um, I think that kind of is, is a big opportunity that people need to stay aware of, mainly because it's coming into the world of supply chain management and manufacturing worlds in the internet of things. You know, here in industrial 4.0, we hear that talked about a lot, is these technologies are coming into our worlds, whether we like it or not, or understand it or not. Well, I, I bring this up all the time. So manufacturers capture a ton of data and in many ways have figured out what to do with it. So the the whole predictive maintenance, all right, here's some signs from your data that you need to take care of this machine or it will probably break down. And again, marketing, it's like we've been slow to employ the, you know, capturing the data and then what do you do with that data? Yeah. So, and I know, you know, Matt will be fantastic and he'll help us understand how you do that too. But yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the opportunities for data on the marketing side are as um, limitless as they are on the operational side. I agree. And, and you mentioned Matt, and honestly, I think this is a perfect time for uh, uh to, to head down to the shop floor and actually see what Matt has to say and bring some actual insights of all of this hypothetical theorizing that we've been doing. Uh, are you ready to head down yep. and make this, make this actionable? Looking forward to it. All right, let's, let's go talk go. to Matt. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Here we are on the shop floor. Nelson and I have run all the way down here and we are excited beyond belief to be joined with Matt Hope. I said earlier that he brings hope to the world for digital analytics. He is our Admiral Analytics. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me on. 
Great to see hey, you there's, uh, Hopefully there's like the sound of applause or if as people are listening are just clapping for you. I really hope that's happening. Uh, we couldn't be more happy to have you here to talk about what is ROI in the world of industrial analytics. Um, uh, you're, you're just, you're a master at it and I'm going to, I'm going to have you go into your, your background, but again, thanks for taking time out of your day to join us and talk about some nerdy stuff. Yeah, for sure. Great to be here. All right. Well, Nelson, are you ready for us to dive in yep. and start uh, peppering Matt with questions? Uh, Matt, just to catch you up, Nels has been playing a Nels needs to know round with me, peppering me with uh, great, great analytics questions. So we're going to get your take on some as well. But before we do that, why should we listen to you? Tell us a little bit about your history and why, why you're an expert at this. So I have a I have an interesting path to analytics. I uh, I graduated and didn't really know what I wanted to do with my career, uh, but I started at my first job working with um, Excel and I started working with with numbers and I kind of uh, I was just something I was really interested in and we had a team um, that was doing some industrial actually back I mean was doing lighting retrofits so. Our customers would be going to large industrial facilities, changing out all of the lighting um, fixtures to save energy and and save on their bottom line. And none of our engineering team really knew how to track all these projects. We, we they were out in the field constantly inspecting and and auditing all these lighting projects, but no one really had a good way to bring all that information together and say how much energy are we saving and and what's the financial return of that savings. And so. I was like, I raised my hand. I said, I'll try and build a tracker, you know, that can do that. And I got started really working awesome. analytics side of all that. And that led me down a road where um, later I moved on to a company called Home Advisor, which was helping to get yep. service professionals inside of your house to fix up anything you have broken or just to do additional projects. And I was tracking um, how to grow that network of service professionals. And so what we were trying to do is wow. every time we put marketing out there to, to capture the attention of these service professionals, I was trying to track the return of that marketing and saying, you know, hey, when we spend a million dollars in Google this month, uh, you know, we need to be shifting some of that spend next month into this ad group and or this uh, uh, section of the campaign because it's performing really well and we can help grow our network that way. So, so saving people and making people money with marketing. Exactly. exactly. Saving money is a huge piece of it and spending efficiently, I think, is a big uh, piece of ROI. If you can understand where your money is going and then how it's it's coming back in the form of return, that can help you say, okay, this month we learned, now next month let's spend more efficiently. I love it. And and so far, and just uh, I'll, I'll pause real quickly for our listeners because I've heard uh, you use the term return and yep. say that our keyword of the day, which is ROI. So Matt, I'm going to put you on the spot. Easy question, super simple. What is ROI? ROI is return on investment. So as you're what does spending that mean money to an industrial, what does that mean? So it's thinking about when you are spending on, you know, that could be whether you spend uh, $10,000 to buy a new uh, pr- machine for your production line that's going to hopefully improve your production. You could track the return on that machine by saying, well, we spent $10,000 to buy this new machine. And over the course of the year, we expect it to deliver $50,000 in savings. Okay. So the return on that is you spent $10,000, but you got $50,000 in return on that. So you can apply that to purchases you're making 
or also to your marketing. You can say, we spent $10,000 on marketing and we actually got $100,000 in new sales from that marketing. So we're, we're thinking of ROI as a ratio of return on that investment. See, Nels, I told you it sounds super yeah. smart. Yeah, well, and but marketing ROI also isn't always financial, right? Sometimes it's indirect. Sometimes your goal is uh, getting leads, which obviously can help you make money later. But marketing ROI is is a little more nuanced than just a strictly financial measurement. Great, great point. Especially as as we, um, you know, with industrial companies, especially are going to have much longer sales cycles. Mm-hmm. So not always an immediate. I spent this money on marketing and tomorrow I have sales. Unlike a company like Amazon that it can spend money today and literally see the sales right. on the site the same day. Some clients are going to have a lot longer return and a lot a lot longer sales cycle. So just because there, yes, there isn't an immediate financial return, you can say I spent this amount of money in marketing and I got 20 new leads. And you're what the way to think of it there is what's the expected value of those leads. And that can give you an idea. My marketing is working, even if we don't have new sales on the books today. That was, uh, and, and I'm glad that you you referenced that because that is something that Nelson and I talked about earlier is we got around to diving into the importance of understanding your customers, not so much on a level of what they do and what they sell and how much they spend with you, but getting to the math of all of this is how much are they worth over the lifetime of their account? What type yes. of service or product or invoice are they on an average sale value? How many sales per year on average? And like getting yes. all of the math pieces in place so you can essentially play that game of chess is to say, well, we need to put 20% of our resources here versus yes. here because of this timeline where this can go here because of this timeline. And yes. Like the math of it all, if you will. Exactly. And I think one thing that, that leads to that too is we've, I've talked about it at prior companies. You're, you can't always be chasing whales, right? So yeah. every company, you probably know who your five biggest, best potential clients would be. And if you ever were to land one of those clients, you'd be swimming in money for years to come. But sometimes <laughs> right. you, can get, you can get too distracted by trying to land one of those whales that you're not paying attention. Well, there's a lot of smaller companies that you could work with that would provide a really healthy stream of revenue for your business. And you should be thinking of marketing to those and getting a handful of those along the way, instead of only trying to pursue the big whales. So really what, when Joey mentions math, you're talking about math and science. A little I mean, bit. Can you, can you talk about the difference between data and analytics, because I think a lot of um, marketing folks could use help in um, discerning really their how the how are they different? How is how is data and analytics different? I see a lot of people use it interchangeably, so that's a good question, Nels. Yeah, so I think data is there's a lot of numbers pouring into any business. You've got how many people visited your website last month. How many um, of those turn into leads, meaning someone who maybe gave you their contact information and said, I'm interested in learning more? Um, how many phone calls you're getting, right? Analytics is saying, okay, let's say last month we got 10 leads and uh, this month we only got five. Okay, so if you're just looking at data, you would say, 
we had a worse month because our total number of leads was down, right? We went Makes from sense. Five is five. less than 10. Data tells you we had a bad Easy. month. Analytics is looking at the potential value of those leads and saying that uh, the 10 we got last month were each worth $1,000 each, maybe in revenue. So we have 10,000 of potential return there from last month. But this month, we actually got leads and they're way better quality and they're bigger companies. And there's actually more like $20,000 worth of value for each one of those leads. So the expected return of this month is more like 100,000. So just because some numbers are, are down month over month, analytics is applying one more layer to it and saying, well, there's actually more to the story than just the numerical number of leads you're getting every month. Sure. And that, and that's a really awesome analogy that really helps explain it well. And where did those better quality leads come from? Right. So like, you know, analyzing. Yes. You could say that you could tie it back to marketing and say, well, you know, we got the 10 leads that were average quality and those came in from this Facebook campaign that we ran, but the five really good leads came in from LinkedIn. And so next month, as we learn analytics is saying, let's learn from that. And next month, let's actually put a little bit more of our budget into LinkedIn because we saw better success there. Right. So it's taking what you're using and using those learnings and insights to actually apply things going forward and to be more proactive instead of just doing the same thing you did the last month and hoping that things improve. So how do you balance? Yeah. How do you balance sample size? You know, because... That's, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a big baseball fan and it's one thing when some hitters red hot for, you know, a couple of weeks, but it's another thing when they can do it year after year after year. So you might see fluctuations month to month, but how do you know if that's meaningful? Great question. And so when I was at Home Advisor, we had a, a great scenario because we had a, it was a really big website, millions of, of page views, millions of interactions every month. And so that immediately gave you very meaningful sample sizes in a small amount of time. So we could make decisions on the fly because we knew we had enough data to be confident in our analysis. But with some of our clients that we see now and, and in the industrial sector, it's there's not just an overwhelming pool of data because you might only be getting handful of leads every month. And so that's, it's hard to say, okay, well, you know, this test worked or not because you just don't have the data there. So there needs to be a little bit of, you need to be patient with yourself and say, okay, we're trying to move fast and we're trying to improve things, but you do need to wait until there is more of a meaningful sample size. And sometimes, you know, one thing you can look for is statistical significance. There's a lot of calculators for that where it's basically saying, it will tell you if you're testing two things, whether you have like a certain confidence interval. If it's like, if the, if the numbers suggest that you're 95% confident in this hypothesis, then you can move forward. You might not get that in, in a section where you have smaller uh, sample sizes. And so at some point you will have to maybe lean on your gut, but you're going to have to still use all the data that you have in hand. You never just want to be making gut reactions and saying, well, this, you know, this landing page looks better to me. So maybe we're going to go with it. You need to use the most meaningful data that you have at that point to then start to make decisions. That's awesome. So I, if, and Joe, if you don't mind me throwing another question. Here. So when we get to like variant testing, a B variant, or let's, yep. you know, mm-hmm. so uh, valuable, yes, but has its limits in our industrial world. Just to what? Give us a quick rundown of uh, A/B testing. 
A-B testing, I think, is very, very valuable. And the only thing there is you might just have to have more patience than you think. Sometimes when you, you know, uh, and what we're saying patience, there, is, let's nice. say you build a new landing page of your website that's really going to capture, you're sending traffic from there from some of your marketing campaigns. It's this new customer you're trying to, a new type of customer you're trying to go after. And you want to know, is it better to have this image up at the top of the website, you know, image A or image B? What what image makes people really understand what they're what they're potentially buying? And you always want to be testing those to see which one gets people more excited to say, I'm interested in what you're offering and, and give you their contact information or, or reach out to you directly. And you just have to be patient with those tests because if you think about you know, maybe after a few months, you see that there's a 5% difference in landing page A versus landing page B. If you, you know, make that decision and you're then you, that 5% return, and 5% lift keeps compounding every month going forward, you're going to be getting 5% more leads, 5% more leads, 5% right. more leads. So even if the difference in the, in the AB test isn't a huge number, you have to think about, well, over the next year, we're going to get the right. benefit. Five percent more every month, and that is what adds up, and that's why A/B testing yeah. is important. Well, and I would think that resonates specifically with an industrial audience too, because everybody listening knows what the value of one good customer. Yes, the can value do. of one good new lead can change your business, and it's worth yeah. putting the be- your best foot forward. Especially as we're thinking about, you know, if it's your website, if it's all this great marketing content you're mm-hmm. out there your best foot forward can be the difference between landing one new great customer and missing out on that great customer. Yeah. I I couldn't agree more. So what, like in the industrial mindset, what are, what's something that most industrials don't think about it? They miss when they're thinking about ROI and analytics. Like where would you think the biggest misstep is? I think one big misstep is just the tracking itself. It's hard to get the tracking in place to know if you got 10 leads last month, where did those 10 come from? Did were right. all 10 of them from your Google campaigns were five of them just from organic traffic and five of them were from Facebook? I think one thing is getting the tracking pieces in place at the front end, because one thing you, you can't yeah. look backwards and say, I didn't, oh, whoops, I didn't have tracking in place. Now I'm trying to scramble and figure it out. It's one of those things where you have to have the tracking in place before things go live. And then you can look back and say, okay, I got 10 really good leads from Google this month. And I know that because I had the tracking in place. So uh, too often we see that people just come to us and say, can you magically tell us where our leads are coming from? And there's no magic wand to backtrack and then get attribution in place. So, So getting your tracking and getting your attribution links Correct on the front is the best way to figure out where your good leads are coming from. That's awesome. And then also tracking them as they convert. So sometimes you have these long sales cycles, right? So maybe it took you a year to close a single customer. Then you have to remember and tell yourself, you have to go back and look a year prior and say, where did we get this lead from? Because it's a long period of time, but you don't just want to say, oh, we closed a customer and now we're just going to go move forward doing whatever we're doing. You have to look backwards no matter how long ago it was and say, we, you know, sometimes we see deals that close like two, three years down the line. It's really helpful to go back and know, well, we actually, you know, this person originally found us this way. Right. We nurtured them this way. You know, we, we emailed them along the way. We, and, and that led to the sale and that is very valuable information. No, no matter how long it takes. 
I would agree with that. And well, actually, one of the things we mentioned earlier, Matt, it was the idea of big data and how larger trend data can be useful as well. So even if going back for that one individual sale isn't important for that one individual sales knowledge, if yep. you do that for every sale, over time, you can identify a trend with those types of sales and yes. then be able to gather analytics and knowledge and insight from that piece of yes. data. So yes. like the the act of validating information and logging those bits of the maths, as I said yeah. earlier, still matters, even if it's not going to benefit your knowledge of company XYZ. Yes, exactly. And And one thing to that point is, as we've seen, especially coming out of COVID, we've seen that last year was maybe just for a lot of industrial, it was like a survival year. It was like, let's yeah. just, you know, keep the ship afloat keep things running. Now there's, there's a little more light at the end of the tunnel. And some of these companies are saying, okay, now we got to have a great year because we had a tough year last year. So we have a a 20% growth goal of, of 20% revenue growth. And my CEO, you know, maybe you're the head of marketing or you're just head of sales and you, your CEO just gave you a hundred thousand dollar budget and said, go grow our, our revenue by 20%. It sometimes it can be daunting to be like, I don't know where to go. You know, if you don't have good yeah. analytics, you don't have an understanding of your data, you'd say, okay, I have a hundred thousand dollars, but I don't know where to spend it. You know, so you're just spinning yeah. in the dark and that's where you're wasting spend and, and there's stress there and pressure. Cause it's like, I have to hit this sales number, but I yeah. don't know where my marketing dollars are going. And I don't know the ROI that I'm going to get on. Yeah. I, I think that just kind of perfectly encapsulates like every like the importance of the, and the need for this question and this conversation and this discussion um Matt thank you so much yeah uh before before we end though we always okay. like to in the in the uh in the shop floor segment but what's one thing if if you had to give one piece of actionable advice that companies could do this quarter or this month or like what's one thing that they could do that'd be good even if it's small, just like something that they should do, something they should think of, uh, you know, just to give you an example in, in the last episode, the piece of advice was if you haven't gone through the experience of looking at your website on a mobile device, you need to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So something, something one. along those lines. I think a good one is a very simple system of lead scoring. So when yeah. you get, when you get 10 leads a month, don't just call out, you know, maybe you have someone in your sales team who just calls out to them and the ones who you hear back from, you keep the conversation going and the ones you don't hear back from, they just drop out of your, right. you know, maybe you don't even have a CRM. It's really helpful to go in and take notes on those leads every month and say, okay, we got 10 leads. These three are good. These three are medium. And maybe this one was bad. Okay. And as you compound that over time, as you go every month, you get a better picture. Even if the financial return isn't there yet, you can look at your marketing activities and say, okay, we're, you know, we're spending this money and 30% of it is really good leads. And that's now a metric that you can improve on and can focus on. But too, too often we see that these people get leads, you know, customers have leads coming in and they don't track anything. They don't write anything down. There's no notes. So then you kind of look back at the past year and go, well, I don't, I don't really know how well we did. I don't know. Right. If we have, I don't know if our leads are good. I don't know how many are bad. It's helpful just to jot a note. It's better to do it in our CRM tool if you have it, cause then it sticks with it. But yeah. even if you're working on a spreadsheet or anything like that, 
write down a list of your leads and and some type of score or note of if it was a good lead or or a bad lead and that will help you go forward i love that i think that's again it's an easy thing that people can do it's one of those sort of just keep walking steps baby yeah. steps yeah is, and over that, time it's not a big time it makes commitment. a difference it takes you two yeah. minutes takes you a minute to do for each lead if not less and it, it'll really help you when you look back over time well, that's that's incredible, Nels. Anything for Matt before we let him get back to work? No, I I, I really like the advice though of the uh, get the tracking in place, and then if you do good lead scoring, that will also help you on uh, figuring out your lead conversion too. They yeah, they work together exactly. Yep, love it. Well, well thanks for well, having Matt, me, on, you guys. This Admiral was a lot of fun. Analytics. Thank you so much. We're oh, we'll have you. We're gonna have you back. We're gonna like love dive it. in to specific Great. topics later. This yeah, this, this uh, was just this, you know this. tip of the iceberg, but there's always there's always more data. You know, there's always more data. That's exactly that's gonna be the name of this episode. There's always more data. Always more data. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining us today, and we'll let you get back to work, Matt. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Oh, Nels, another great conversation. I feel like we've learned a lot this week. Oh, yeah. Yep. I, there's there's data and then there's analytics. That's right. So everybody, put your data caps on, get your analytics, do your homework that Matt gave you. And, and as always, if you haven't already subscribed to our show, please subscribe to the Industrial Marketer Podcast. We're here every week. We're here bringing, we're here every other week. We're bringing you insights. We're bringing you knowledge. Uh, we want to we want to grow a community. So if you haven't already followed the show, please do that. If you know somebody uh, who needs to listen to it, please share it with them or sign up for our newsletter and forward them the emails. Uh, you can find us on social media. If that's your bag, I'll just look up Industrial Marketer on Facebook or LinkedIn or Instagram or wherever it is you take in the socials and we will be there. We want to share those tips, those tricks and those trends that really make a difference for industrial marketers like us. We're in it every day and this is this is our lives. So we love sharing what we can find with you guys. So reach out to us, subscribe, uh, let us know and let's build a community together. And until next time, guys, have a great one.